you have your Bibles, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 12. We are uh, continuing in Hebrews today. I'm going to read it as you turn there, just the first three verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for these words in Hebrews. God, as is, is it kind of comes to a, a climax almost uh, of kind of the theme of these trials and tribulations uh, that are upon them and, and we should expect in our own life. Uh, God, we ask that uh, you would speak to our hearts, that your word would speak to us, and God, we, we desire uh, to live differently, to live change uh, because of your word and because of uh, your son Jesus. Uh, we pray it and we ask it in the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, many of you will know the name Rogers, Roger Bannister, but some, oh, 65 years ago, the thought of a four-minute mile was inconceivable. Nobody believed that you could run a mile in under four minutes. And I'm convinced nobody in this room can either uh, to do that. No, no offense. Uh, have you done it? <laughs> I saw you running this morning. But, but that four-minute mile, nearly impossible. And back then, they thought there was no, no way it could be done. And then in 1954, Roger Bannister ran the mile in under four minutes. Something incredible happened since then. It didn't take long until the next guy ran in under four, and the next guy, and some 14, 1,500, I think 21 Americans did it last year. But to get under four now is, not that it's not a big deal, but it's not as inconceivable as it once was. And I think there's there's almost a belief system. See, when you can see somebody accomplish something you thought was inconceivable or couldn't be done, you realize it can be. And in the case of Roger Bannister, in the case of running the four-minute mile, he broke that barrier. And so now people, as they trained, as they prepared, they realize, you know what? It, it can be done. You can run a mile in under four minutes. If you train right, if you do the right things, it can be accomplished. As we've looked through Hebrews, specifically as we looked last week, we saw that great hall of faith, didn't we? We saw guys like Moses and Jacob and Isaac and Gideon and Barak and Samson, David, Samuel. We saw these guys, guys who had finished the race well, guys who had persevered, guys who had, maybe if, if you study the lives of these guys, some of them kind of screwed up, didn't they? in big ways, but they finished strong. They finished with perseverance. And you go back and you look, and here they are in this great hall of faith, remembered for their faith in God. And we see that, and we look at it, and we look to those examples, remember those examples, and realize, you know what? In the face of trials, in the face of tribulations, in the face of all suffering and everything we're enduring, and everything we're going through, we can persevere because we've seen people do it before. Just like Roger Bannister, there's this, this belief system, we've seen it, and we know it can be done. 
And so we look in verse 1 and it says, Therefore, since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The author of Hebrews is pointing us right back to that hall of faith. Right back to those guys that had lived, that had seen trials, had seen difficulties, life literally threatened, yet had persevered, had ran the race. And so now he's encouraging us, hey, look back, look, it's been, it's been done. You guys can do it. You can accomplish this because others have gone before and they've done it. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Not only those in Hebrews 11 that we've seen lived out the faith and in the midst of all these trials and struggles, but also as we look in our own lives and people that have gone before us. You know, the greatest example for me is my grandpa, Mark shared that story a few weeks back, but I remember in his final days sitting there uh, at the nursing home and he can no longer speak, but I'm talking about Malachi and we're getting ready to go over this series in Malachi and there I am talking to him. I'm like, Grandpa, here's, here's where we're gonna talk about Sunday and there, unable to speak, he opens his Bible slowly and starts to point in his Bible in Malachi and you see all of his notes that even now he'd been studying Malachi to understand it, to know it, even in his 90s that he wanted to follow and pursue this perseverance to live this, this, this race out all the way to the end. This great cloud of witnesses. Not only do we have the people of the great hall of faith, but we can look to examples in our, in our own life of people in the midst of struggles and trials and tribulations all the way to the end. They persevered. They persevered. I think, uh, you know, even thinking of my grandpa and, and for us that, um, you know, even, it's okay to say older. I don't know what's acceptable anymore. Larry's older. You're older, Larry. Uh, I mean, no offense. You're older than Liz, right? That's clear. So, um, oh, well, you, you look great for your age, Liz. <laughs> Who else is old in here? Uh, so, um, but, you know, great example is my grandpa. But I was talking to my uncle one time, and he says, you know what, Kyle? Looking back, my grandkids are never going to remember me as a young man. They're never going to remember me and the things that I did and all the energy I had. But you know what? They remember me now. And they remember how I'm going to finish. And they remember the example I'm going to be them to them right now. And I think, you know, again, to my own, my own grandpa and his example and the energy he had, but his passion he had for the things of God, the passion he had for the word of God. And, man, we, we want to be that. We want to be that example. As we look to this, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. It's awesome for us to look and see these people that have gone before us, but also for us, man, that we want to be that example. I'm, I'm falling off. I better get to the middle here. But we want to be that example. Man, for my kids, for my grandkids someday, all of that. So they can look and they say, you know what, Kyle, man, he, he finished the race. He ran with perseverance. Now, this isn't a picture, I, th- I think we need to be clear, this isn't a picture of Noah and Moses and my grandpa and others and there's looking down on us and cheering, right? We're not in this big coliseum and they're all just kind of, well, I, I would love that picture if Noah and all these guys were just kind of cheering us on, but that's not the picture of what this is. This isn't a picture of them cheering us on because that's not heaven, right? I mean, otherwise they'd just be looking down at us and seeing us stumble and make all these mistakes. No, the picture is that we look to them. The picture is that we look to the example that they have left, how in the midst of the trials and Samson and David and Moses and all these guys and all they went through, 
They finished strong. They ran the race with perseverance. And these feats of bravery and courage are there so we might follow. And we want to be inspired by these stories. We look at all these stories, the stories we look at, and we want to be inspired. But even more important than being inspired is that we would look at it, take that inspiration, and apply it to our own lives. So I can look at these stories of these guys and what they've went, went through and what they've done and how they've persevered, and I can say, okay, what does that mean for my life? What does that mean for my pursuit of the things of God? So we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. These individuals who have gone before us have lived this life of, of faith and persevere. And so the picture we've got today and the picture the author of, of Hebrews wants us to see is that our life is a race. And we're going to see what kind of race that is. But the first thing we see is almost before we begin this race or as we're on this race, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Right? If we're going to run a race, we need to be prepared. Okay? If I'm, you think of any, any sporting event, I, I was playing golf this week, and uh, the guy playing behind us is, is, is in flip-flops. You know, he's got a beer in one hand, a cigar in the other, and he's trying to swing a golf club. All right, well, do you think you're going to maximize your ability to play golf if you're not equipped for it? Probably not, right? And I played with guys like Nate McCoy, who is dressed the part, has the right equipment, has the right clubs, has the right shoes, and he's much more talented than I am. But he, right, it, it aids in what he is trying to do. I'm sure that guy was having a good time, but his score probably didn't, didn't shoot the best, right? And so as we're going on this, whether it's a race or journey or whatever, we need to be prepared. We need to be equipped. And so what he's telling us here, listen, if you're going to run this race, if you're going to persevere to the end, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And I think there's a couple things there. Uh, address the second part first, which it says the sin that so easily entangles. I, I would guess as I, I look around the room and I talk that uh, the bigger issue for us is probably not uh, this large sin maybe that we have in our life. Now, I don't want to dismiss it. If we're dealing with a sin issue in our life, man, we, we need to address it. Uh, you read through the Psalms and you see the importance of confessing our sin, right? We need to confess our sin. Uh, we need to let our sin be known and be dealt with. That's important. I was also talking to my brother yesterday and, you know, we, we live in a culture that is much different than the rest of the church around the world. That things even 15 or 20 years ago that maybe weren't thought as permissible, now the church has almost come to accept. And so I think as the church we need to address those things, uh, we need to stand for what we believe to be true. That's important. And so we need to deal with sin. And so if you're here this morning and you have a sin issue, man, you need to confess it. You need to deal with it. If we're going to run this race and we're going to run it to the fullest and we're going to run and persevere and we're going to make it all the way to the end, then that sin needs to be dealt with and needs to be addressed. My, uh, what I want to address more as I think about let us throw off everything that hinders, everything that hinders us, is, listen, this is a, Hebrews is a book that, that's written to people. They're struggling. Uh, they're facing trials. They're facing tribulations. And he wants to encourage them, listen, don't give up. Persevere. That's why he shared all those stories. And the author, as he comes to here, it's almost like the climax of the whole thing. And so he's saying, that, hey, listen, don't give up. Persevere. 
It's a race, and here's how you need to run the race. You need to throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles us. As we want to think about this, the things that slow us down. And so I I think, you know, yes, sin needs to be addressed, it needs to be dealt with. But for many of us in the church today, as you think about what hinders us to get rid of even maybe the innocent things in our life that might impede our race, that might impede us running. And you think about, okay, yes, you know, sin, whatever, but there are things that are good that can slow us down from running the race. I think to, to me, uh, maybe the greatest example of this is family, right? And I'm not speaking, I think this is maybe true for every single one of us. But how oftentimes maybe family comes before God. And you'll hear it even in the church, right? Well, we're a family-focused church. Well, we're missing the boat if that's our focus, right? We want to be Christ-centered. We want to be a God-focused church. I want to be a God-focused individual. I want to be a God-focused family. And as I think about my own family, there's probably no greater example that I can give them than my pursuit of God. And if all my focus and all my attention, all my love is just on them, and I neglect what is most important, and I've set a terrible example. And this being part of this great cloud of witness, I'm, I'm not pursuing like I should be, be pursuing. Uh, you know, in ours, our struggle is, man, we're playing baseball three days a week. We're playing, uh, we have ballet two days a week. And there's family doing all of these things. And it, I was reminded and studying and looking at this is like, man, we need to be focused. As a family, the most important thing we can do and the most important example I can give my kids is my pursuit of the kingdom of God, my love for Jesus, my love for all things for him. Now, we should care for our family, right? I I mean, that's a given. I want to care and I want one of the greatest things we do as a family is just those nights when we're together and it's just us. No outside, nothing. We, We enjoy that time. But Jesus' words ring true. If you don't hate your father, if you don't hate your mother, your brother, your sister, you cannot follow me. You cannot pursue me. You cannot come after the kingdom of God. And we look at that, and we, we need to understand it, right, in its full context, that, that what he's really saying here is, like, like listen, the, your love for your family should, should be dull and pale in comparison to your love and pursuit of me. When people look at you and they see your love for me, it should be like you hate anything else because you love me that much. That's what it should look like. And you look at the, the church in, in some parts of the world, and, I mean, this is very literal, like, I was reading a story yesterday, uh, a Muslim, where he, he, he converted to Christianity, gave his life to Jesus, and his family literally cut him off. They would not talk to him. They would have nothing to do with him, and it was a choice he made. Pursue the kingdom of God, and I may lose this life. I may lose the love of family. I may lose all of those things, but yet that's what God calls us to. Okay, if you're not ready to do this, this is what it means to live a life worthy of the calling to run this race with perseverance, that's what it may look like. Uh, Of course, there's other things other than family. You know, work can be one, activities. I mean, your love of the Hawkeyes could be a big one, not the Cyclones, but the Hawkeyes. But we see that, right? Things that, that consume us, things that take our passion and our excitement, our time, our energy, our money. I mean, you look, what, what, Where's my, my, my passion? Where, where's my money? Where do I spend? 
I mean, that's, that's where my heart is, right? And so we gotta continue to look at these things. Not, those things aren't bad in and of themselves. None of those things are. But when they replace our pursuit of the kingdom and this race that we're on and they impede the race that they're on, then, then we have to look and evaluate and ask the question, is there something that needs to change? If I look at this great cloud of witnesses that went before me, how did they live their lives? What are the things that they did? We need to throw off. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And the last part of verse 1 says this, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This is his point. Like, listen guys, we are on a journey, we are on a race, and it is a marathon, right? I, I remember uh, in college, uh, at, my, uh, at Emmaus, at the Bible college I was at, I remember one class, we were sitting there, and we were talking about this idea that, hey, th- this, is, this is a journey, it is a marathon, it's not a sprint. And Mr. Witter, who was teaching the class, he went out and he grabbed an old Emmaus yearbook, and as he went through it, he looked and he said, going on for the Lord shipwreck their faith and he started pointing to all these individuals some who were still living for God but many who had shipwrecked their faith who had abandoned what they once held dear and what they once pursued they no longer pursued once following the things of God no longer following the things of God it's not a sprint it's a marathon and we run this race with perseverance Uh, the word there is Agon, and in the Greek, it means agony. And so when you look at this, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, us, for you and I. So according to this verse, this race that we're on, it's it's not just a race, but it's an agonizing struggle. (laughs) It's a good way to describe life sometimes, isn't it? An agonizing struggle. It's not this... Rich was on a leisurely run this morning. I saw you out there, Rich. This is not what it is. It's not this leisurely run around the block, right? But this picture of the race and the marathon is an agonizing struggle. And so there's a few things I want to note. The first is that this is not an ordinary race. Uh, As I was looking through many uh, commentators and and listening to things on, on the subject, most of them said that this, this is actually speaking to some sort of Olympic-type event. Like, this isn't just a couple guys getting together and racing, but the picture that they want to give you, the picture that the author wants to give you, give you here, is that of like, hey, this is the race. This is the final event. The one that matters most of all. Now, I, I love college basketball. It's one of my favorite things, and my favorite time of year is, is March Madness. Right, And there's 30, they play 30, 35 games ahead of March Madness before the NCAA tournament. And those games are fun to watch. But when you get to March Madness, that's all that matters. Those games, because if you lose the game, you see the excitement and the passion. And sometimes if you lose, you see them in tears and they're weeping and they're hurt because it's over. That's all that matters. And the picture here is of that, like this is the race that matters. I was talking to my son yesterday, and I was, we were talking about baseball last year, and I said, you remember, uh, yeah, we won several tournaments. He goes, no, 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 we did, but there was only the one that we got the gold. 
we were in the gold bracket in the highest level, that was the one. Because now we give trophies and everything out for every individual that steps on there. But anyway, so, but this was the one he remembered because it was the event. And so the picture we're supposed to get here is that this is the race that matters. And actually, they talk about it in the pentathlon, which was the ultimate race. Back then, it was the climax of the Olympics. And in it, it consisted of running and jumping and discus and javelin. And at the end, and then of the, the climax of those five events, there was this, it was kind of a combination of wrestling and boxing. What they would do is the participants, they would give them kind of a glove. It was a leather glove that would go around uh, your knuckles and your hand. It was meant to protect you, but also bloody your opponent. And so this was the whole event, the climax of this event, and this is really what the author is comparing this to, this agonizing struggle, is this event at the end where they would bloody themselves. They would try to beat each other, but only one would be the victor. Only one would be the winner. And so the the author wants us to have that picture in mind. Like, listen, guys, we need to run in such a way. This is an agonizing journey, an agonizing race, Even in verse 4, he makes it, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, which is, I mean, that was a literal picture that they had not uh, faced martyrdom, anything like that. But but the visual for us is like, this is agonizing. It's going to beat you down. It's going to drag you down. It's meant to bring out all of that. So that's a pretty cheerful metaphor, isn't it? (laughs) Kind of gets you excited to run the race bloodied and beaten it's agonizing it's tough but it's more than just this leisurely run it's more than a marathon it's an agonizing journey that we're on the second thing uh, we see I think in here is that the struggles are necessary some struggles in our life is necessary Uh, you look to physical your physical well-being as an example if you go to the doctor and he tells you, you want to live a long, healthy life. What does he tell you you need to do? Exercise, right? Has any doctor said anything other than that? Find a new doctor if so. But here's, here's the deal. Exercise matters, doesn't it? It matters. And so this picture uh, that he's trying to give us here is that to perform normal daily exertions, we need those extraordinary exertions to be ready for it like we can't perform normal activity especially as we get older Larry we can't perform those those normal activities if we don't have those extraordinary excursions in our life and so when we exercise what do we do we push ourselves to the limit right where we can't breathe where we're tired and all those so we are prepared for just the normal activities normal healthy living. I remember four years ago, blood pressure out of control, and uh, went to the doctor, and guess what he told me? Diet and exercise, right? And so diet and exercise. I started diet and exercising to get myself back into shape. Because if we want to live a long, healthy, physical life, we need those in our life. And so the, the, the same thing is true here. This is what it means for our faith. Your faith will never grow if it's not tested. It will never grow if it's not tested. Your commitment 
will never grow unless it's threatened. Your patience will never grow unless it's taxed daily with my kids. Your compassion will never grow unless it's tapped. Your courage will never grow unless it's challenged. What we learn is that the difficulties of life are absolutely necessary. That suffering is necessary. For us to experience growth, we have to suffer. Trials, tribulations, it's part of life and it's part of growth within our life. Uh, The last thing we see within this race, it's an important lesson, I think, to learn, is but that when I am weak, I am strong. When I am weak, I am strong. Go back to the gym. If I'm at the gym and I'm doing, I'm, let's say I'm benching and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, we good? We all right? What the, I feel like there's a teapot or something. Is that what it is? I don't know. What was I talking about? Gym. Oh, yeah, I was going to the gym again. So let's say I'm at the gym, though, and, and we're, we're, we're benching or we're curling, or whatever we're doing at the gym. It gets to a point when I do one rep, two rep, three rep, four rep, does it get easier with the more repetitions you do? It gets harder, right? If you're doing any significant amount of weight, the first one might feel okay, and the second one might feel okay, third might be okay, but by the time I'm getting to four, five, six, my arms are feeling like jello, right? It gets harder and harder as I go. But the end result is what? Well, hopefully I'm getting stronger, right? We talk about muscle failure. As we're working out, muscle failure, failure is a good thing because you're actually building muscle. I've got a friend. Uh, he looks like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. He is a massive man. He eats five dozen eggs every morning. But he's a big guy. And he always makes a statement to me. He goes, eat to failure, sleep to failure, and work out to Failure. Failure is the key. He is the most well-built man you will see. But why? See, to, to experience that growth, it's all about the failure. And the illustration is the same for us. When we experience trials in our life, what happens? We feel weak and helpless, don't we? We feel inadequate. When pain comes into our life, man, that, that's when life feels the most difficult. We are at our weakest moments. But what does God use those for? See, God is building our character. God wants to to develop us into godly, Christ-driven, kingdom-pursuing individuals. And for that to happen, we need to experience those difficulties, those trials, those tribulations, those hard times. When we are weak, when we face those moments, God is developing character in our life and creating us for something greater. Life is an agonizing struggle. That's what the author is telling us, an agonizing struggle. I, uh, I think part of what he wants us to realize is that he wants us to be prepared for this. So as the author tells us this, he wants us to know what's coming. 
About 20 years ago, uh, we had a boat, and I was driving my dad's Tahoe, and I was pulling this boat, and the boat backed into the Tahoe. Now, I wanted to, my dad is, we're still working on his patience. Uh, this was 20 years ago. I love you, Dad. Uh, but, you know, I was scared to tell him because I, I had, the boat had hit the Tahoe. So I thought, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to tell him the story. I'm going to make it maybe even worse than it actually was. So I'm like, hey, here's what happened. Backed it in. I'll bring it. You can see it. And what really happened was there was just a small dent. But I had set the expectation for it. So when he saw it, he, he wasn't as mad as I thought he might be, right? You'll see this in surgery. A surgical nurse will come out, right? And will come out and tell you and prepare the family. Like if, if maybe, you know, family members in surgery, the surgical nurse is going to come out like, here's what you should expect. And so when you go and you see your family member, well, you, it's expected. Or maybe it's not even as bad as you might have thought. Because they are setting the expectation for you. And this is exactly what the author is doing for us. He wants us to know and expect what is coming. Like this is life. This is an agonizing journey that we're on. Has anybody in here suffered before? Right? We have. We have. Trials, tribulations, loss, loved ones, whatever it might be. That is part of the journey. And what he's saying is, hey, we shouldn't be in shock. We shouldn't be surprised when these things come about because it's part of life. It's part of what we do. It's part of how we grow, right? When we are weak, we gain the strength. George MacDonald said, everything difficult points to something more than our theory of light yet embraces. I'll read that quote again. Everything difficult points to something more than our theory of life yet embraces. In other words, if suffering comes into our life, I think the response many times, meltdown, freak out, whatever, because our theory of life is not aligned with it. You look look at America. How do we try to build our lives? We build it for the here and now, right? We build it so we won't suffer. We've got our retirement. We've got our insurance. We've got everything in place so we can deal with as little suffering as humanly possible. And so when suffering occurs, man, our world is shaken because we have done everything we can to prepare to deal with it, and yet it still shows up. Theory of life, it's what we are living for. And so when, if what we are living for is to maximize that happiness and that comfort now, man, our world is going to be rocked when that trials and tribulations and difficult times show up. We have to enlarge our theory of life to be able to handle the reality of suffering when it comes. It's an agonizing race, an agonizing journey. That's the picture. That's the picture we're supposed to have. Like, this isn't easy, right? Nobody said it was ever going to be easy. Pursuing Jesus, pursuing the things of the kingdom of God is hard. There will be trials, there will be tribulations, there will be struggles, but in that weakness is where I gain the strength. In that weakness, in those trials, in those tribulations where God is developing my character. So I can look back and look at those cloud of witnesses and see the lives that were lived and say, you know what, same thing. I wanna be a man of faith. 
like all of those Moses and David and Samson and all those guys we looked at last week. So realize it. In a sense, we need to embrace it. And I want to end with these, these final two verses uh, before we take communion because this is kind of key, right? This isn't a journey that I'm supposed to do. This isn't me just, you know, kind of manning up and I'm going to get through this. I'm going to endure it. But here's how. Here's how I face the trials and the tribulations. Verse 2 and 3, the author says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endeared the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. For us to avoid dropping out of the race, not running, and we need to look to Jesus. Like those are examples we gave at the beginning that great cloud of witnesses are awesome, right? But if I look to those guys and I look at their stories, they failed, didn't they? They fell short. So I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. I need to fix my eyes on the author and the perfecter of my faith. I need to consider him who endured such opposition. He went to the cross for me. So I won't grow weary. I won't give up. I won't quit this race. My motivation is to be nothing else than to look at Jesus and realize this great thing and this great love that he has shown me. That's what keeps me going. That's how we persevere. When we look and we remember this incredible thing that God has done for us through his son Jesus. So as we take the bread and the juice, we want to remember that. Jesus, his body broken, his blood shed for me. It is a marathon. It is a race. And as we look at the great ones that ran the race before us, they're great examples. But for me to finish strong, I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for Jesus. God, this morning, help us to consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition. Consider him who went to the cross for me. Consider him whose body was broken. Consider him whose blood was shed. And God, as we, we take communion this morning, we want to remember that incredible thing that God has done through Jesus. And God, we want that to be our motivation. As we run this agonizing journey that we're on, Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus so we can run it. We thank you for him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Help us to remember that he is perfecting our faith. And these trials and these struggles that come are because he's perfecting our faith. Help us to run with endurance. Help us to persevere. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus so we can do it. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You know, as we take the bread and the cup, uh, this is an awesome, uh, just tangible way to fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, we fix our eyes on the bloody cross, uh, but then we remember that the God who bore that death and judgment for us is now seated at the right hand of God. He finished his race victorious 
joy that was set before him, he endured that pain. So just take a moment now, fix our eyes on Jesus. Thank you.